Welcome to episode 13 of the Policy Options Podcast. The IRPP team, including myself, are back from Ottawa after a really eye-opening event on innovation in Canada. Uh, the event was the follow-up to a study we released last week by Andre Sazenko titled Canada's Innovation Conundrum Five Years After the Jenkins Report. You're probably asking, oh, what's the Jenkins Report? Well, five years ago, the Conservative government wanted to see how the federal government could improve its research and development policies in order to kickstart innovation in Canada. So it put together a panel of experts to look at the matter. Uh, what Andre Silzenko did in his report that he released last week was to look at whether or not the government followed through on the report's recommendations, where innovation in Canada stands as a result, and what needs to occur if we want to up our innovation game. We caught up with Andre at his event to learn more about the report. So joining me on the podcast now is Andre Silzenko. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. So in your report, you highlight uh, the 2011 Jenkins report. What was your findings? Well, the Jenkins report, I think, did a really good job in relation to the mandate it received. Now, the mandate, in my view, was somewhat narrow because the mandate really asked the, the panel to focus on business R&D. And, uh, and in, in so far as that goes, uh, they made a, a, f a major recommendation, which was to shift relatively the emphasis on indirect support through R&D tax incentives to more direct incentives. Uh, about 70% of our R&D support for business is through the tax system. 30% therefore is on the direct side. Uh, most OECD countries are kind of the reverse. Uh, and the reason for that, uh, I think, is because they had as, as a clear objective to help small, high-growth companies scale up so they could be internationally competitive. Mm -hmm. And you can probably do that more effectively through direct support mechanisms than indirect support. So that was, that was sort of the nub of their main recommendation. Mm -hmm. The second area, though, that I think is m even more important is they, they recognized that R&D alone isn't going to get you there. And so they expanded their mandate uh, to include other types of proposals, for example, in terms of uh, growth financing for small companies. So they made some recommendations with respect to that. They also made recommendations on uh, using government procurement as an instrument to help companies uh, create innovative new products. Uh, so they, they went beyond their mandate, but I think quite deliberately, because their vision was largely driven by the notion that you needed to scale up these companies to worldwide uh, competition. and you can't get from here to there just using traditional instruments. So your report talks about the tool of R&D tax incentives that are uh, offered by the uh, that are typically offered by the government mm. that have been used to promote R&D uh, in Canada. Where do you, what role do you see those playing going forward and how should that tool be utilized by the government going forward? Well, <clears throat> those incentives have been around for a long time. They have been adjusted somewhat uh, following the Jenkins report, um, not exactly as the report recommended. And, and in fact, the business community will now complain uh, that 
the incentives have actually been decreased, but there hasn't been compensating increase on the direct program side. So, uh, but it's, you know, it's a good backbone program for, for, uh, for the country, and I don't see it requiring any significant changes down the road. So, what do you think is the best way that uh, the Canadian government can spur innovation right now? Yeah, well, my main point uh, on that is that it's um, R&D is uh, useful, uh, but uh, insufficient instrument uh, to support. And the reason is that, you know, when you look at it, R&D is actually an input to an innovative process. But innovation happens in many other ways. Uh, and uh, so you can have process innovation, you can have organizational innovation, you can have marketing innovation. And, you know, the OECD found that something like 80% of firms did little or no R&D although many are clearly innovative. So the notion that R&D equals innovation has to be uh, dispelled to some extent, and you need a broader-based strategy to provide the incentives to business to adopt these, these sorts of strategies. In terms of the strategies that the current government has taken so far to spur innovation or, or develop R&D, um, do you think that they're heading in the right direction? Well, they haven't uh, done a lot yet. Uh, budget 2016 put a few ideas in the window, uh, and then they said, watch this space for next year <laughs> when we'll have the full agenda. But what they did put in the window is actually, um, I think, very useful. For example, they, they put some uh, funding together for um, business to cooperate more with uh, post-secondary institutions to have uh, recent graduates more job ready. Mm -hmm. That's a really important thing uh, because at the end of the day, it's the quality of your workforce that's going to drive everything, including innovation. Uh, they put some, uh, they're developing a program uh, for what they call uh, innovation clusters. Uh, and it's hard to know how that'll uh, come come about because we've had a history in this country of promoting that. The trouble mm. with uh, often the Canadian way is that everybody wants to have a cluster in their backyard, and mm. by definition, you doesn't it doesn't work that way. Uh, but I think uh, if you just take those two measures alone, uh, none, neither of which is all is about R and D. So mm. that's I guess gratifying in a sense that they see that there are other components to to a strategy. Mm. When you cut government supports towards uh, a lot of these firms that are trying to build themselves up. Uh, naturally, you're trying to expose them to uh, great, the greater pressures of uh, the market and, try, and trying to hope that, that that spurs innovation and it drives them forward. Do you think that there's a, how do you manage to keep that balance between making sure that these firms are okay financially, but at the same time trying to give them that outside push that will drive yeah. them towards innovation? Well, I, my take on it is there, there hasn't been enough of a push. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that uh, there are, there's a natural push from the marketplace, especially um, using uh, ICTs. You know, we hear about Uber, we hear about uh, Airbnb, we hear about FinTech and so on. These are disruptive ICT-based technologies that are going to affect a lot of established businesses. But 
what I what I found in the in doing the work on this is that in Canada uh, there hasn't been in enough competitive pressure, uh, and the evidence for that is that uh, Canadian uh, business profits compared to American business profits have been substantially higher for the last thirty years, mm -hmm. and what that tells you uh, is that there's less competitive pressure in Canada than in mm -hmm. the United States. But the Americans are much much more innovative than we are. So there is this relationship between competitive pressure and innovation. And so I think governments need to review a lot of their policies with respect to trade, with respect to investment and regulatory policies to ensure that there is enough sustained pressure on business so that they will actually have an incentive to adapt with innovative strategies. A good example of that, and I cite it in the paper, is um, the uh, oil patch in Alberta, as, mm -hmm. as we all know, is suffering badly because of the depressed price of crude. What they are now doing uh, is they're trying to reposition and rebrand their product uh, as low carbon. Mm -hmm. And it's more than just branding, it's actually they are trying, they're finding ways to take carbon out of the, out of their product so it becomes a premium product. Mm -hmm. So that they actually can compete, uh, not on a volume basis, but a quality basis, and get a better price for their product. So that's a really a good example where they're in real trouble, mm -hmm. and very quickly they've turned around and, and created um, some strategies to try to stay in the market and create a new market, in fact. Well, that, was, that brings up a point that, that a lot of people point to Canada as being sort of a resource-based economy. And when uh, Prime Minister Trudeau comes out and says something like, uh, we want to be sort of a, an innovation powerhouse, uh, how, does, how do you think Canada, do, do you think that Canada is ready to take that next step uh, and, and alter our economy? Well, I got to say, you know, um, Resources uh, are, are and will remain a big part of Canada's economy for many years to come. Mm -hmm. uh, and I gave you the example of the oil industry. I think uh, our forest products industries have um, made remarkable uh, strides in recent years. And, uh, I, for example, the building codes are now changing so that higher than... I think three-story structures can now be made out of wood. Hmm. Uh, that's an interesting technological challenge uh, as for the forest products industry because this isn't just cutting a log and, and using it for building. These are, these are laminated uh, engineered products. They're very high-value products that are actually competing with steel. So, you know, our resource industries have lots of scope for for innovation. But having said that, the real driver of innovation is going to be our service industries. So I'm talking about financial services and insurance, uh, and that's where the real business, various business services, that's where the growth is in the economy and in, in world markets. So, um, and manufacturing, yes, absolutely, although it's, it's, it's dwindling as a percentage of our output. Part of that is a, a problem with um, measurement because uh, many ma manufacturing firms are now also service firms and, and when you start counting 
which side of the mm-hmm. you are on, well, sometimes you're in a different category. But but having said that, there's uh, obviously huge uh, huge opportunities uh, for manufacturing, and uh, so it, it's not. I wouldn't discount uh, all to say I wouldn't discount our resource sectors by any means in this. Mm-hmm. You bring up manufacturing, and obviously there's a lot of big players in a in a uh, an industry like manufacturing. Uh, obviously, with a plan such as this targeting the bigger firms that already have uh, a large stake in the economy and helping them innovate is important. But at the same time, you need to balance with the the startups and, and a lot of the smaller companies. Uh, how do you think that a proper plan would take account for both? targeting large firms and also building that sort of grassroots movement when it comes to the economy? Yeah, I think you need several different approaches. The, the, the big firms will look after themselves. They're big, mm-hmm. they're sophisticated, uh, they know uh, what's uh, happening out there in the marketplace. I mean, for example, the financial services sector is very, very focused. The big banks are very, very focused on the disruption of fintech, mm. so they can look, but they can look after themselves. I don't know that they need a lot of help from government. Mm-hmm. That contrasts with smaller firms uh, that are, are have trouble financing their growth. Mm-hmm. They have great ideas. Their real problem often is financing their growth, and the conditions under which that financing uh, comes. So what happens in Canada is that you can get up to a certain level of financing, venture capital and so on, uh, but then when you go to the next stage, which requires millions and millions more, uh, we don't have the capacity in this country and our American friends are happy to oblige us, but there are conditions attached and often those those conditions will result in in the business moving south. It's not a great outcome for, for Canada, that we, we kind of grow them and then they leave. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a real issue, and government is, has to be part of the solution for, for business financing. Mr. Zelenko, thank you very much for joining me. All right. Now, if you want to check out Andre's study, we'll be providing a link in the podcast description. Also, footage of the event should be going up soon on our YouTube page, so we'll throw in that link once it's ready as well. As always, let us know who or what you want to hear on the podcast by tagging at IRPP in a tweet, writing on our Facebook page, or sending an email to IRPP at IRPP.org. And don't forget, the Policy Options Podcast is now available on the iTunes Store and on most podcast apps, so make sure to subscribe. Until next time, thanks for tuning in.